Coming to you from the Black Swan Media Studios, this is Fireside Chats, talking to the real difference makers in the world. Now, here is your host, John Crump. Well, it is another week. We are starting here Monday. Mondays always suck, but today's a good Monday because we have a new sponsor on the show. Uh, They are the one, the only. They are Mantis X. If you don't know what Mantis X is, um, I've been using them for a few years, and that's why uh, I'm teamed up with them, because I only only take sponsors of stuff I actually use, and Mantis X is definitely something I use. Mantis X is a system to help you improve your shots, whether it's dry firing. Let me fix my camera there. Whether it's dry firing or at the range, it... It's basically a little device that connects to the front of your uh, to the front of your gun, and then it gives you feedback right to your smartphone, and it lets you know how much you're moving and stuff. And it really, really improved my shot tremendously. It looks like uh, the chats might be working, at least from one place, at least. Uh, but yeah, it is it, it is an incredible, incredible product. You can check them out at mantisx.com. Let them know that I sent you guys. I see Rich out there, and I see another Rich, and the gun doctor out there, of course. And let me get into my plugs. All right. You can um, join my Patreon. Join the militia at patreon.com slash John Crump. I also have Super Chats at paypal.me. Well, like Super Chats, paypal.me forward slash John CC. I accept Super Chats. $25 with you signed book. This is my book right here. Speaking with Giants, or $5 will get you a PVC patch. All proceeds go to my niece from the Patreon for everything I do. Everything goes to my niece. She is suffering from DIPG, which is a former childhood brain cancer, and it really, really sucks. You can also pick up my book at crumpy.com slash Giants. There is a GoFundMe for my niece at crumpy.com slash GFM. That will redirect you for my GoFundMe. But... Now that I have all that over with, let's bring on my guest. He is known as the Gun Doctor. He is a YouTuber and a creator and an influencer and an all-around awesome guy. So let me go ahead and introduce him. The Gun Doctor, Gun Doctor TV. Do you want to go by Gun Doctor or you want to go by your real name? Uh, you can just call me Daniel. Daniel. All right. Some yeah, people, yeah. you know, it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a guy, so. Oh, uh uh-oh. Hold on. Thank you, Rich, for the super chat. Um, I got a bunch of different sounds today. Yeah, so Daniel. Do you use Facebook? I do. I do. I used to. Rarely. I'm not on there very much. I used to use Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. Used to. Yeah. Well, I do. You can go to Black Swan Media the group, and th- and that is still me. And we are broadcasting there right now. But my personal account and my journalist account all got Ooh. taken down by Facebook. Got zapped. Well, yeah, I wrote an article about uh, you know, foreign election interference and possible FEC violations and stuff like that. Uh, and apparently, they don't like that too much. So can't thanks. have actual news out there. I mean, that's. Can't no, that. no. <laughs> well, I kind of busted them. I 
they had something called the AFP, which AFP is like the porn, is like the French Associated Press. And what happened was I put up uh, the amicus brief that Camilla Harris wrote. And they marked it as false, even though she wrote the brief. Right. They're like, gosh, she didn't write this. It's like, yes, she did. (laughs) I reached out for comment. And instead of giving me a comment, they deleted my account. Nice. Yeah, that's uh, classic Zuckerberg there. Yeah, I used to work for them too, which is. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Uh, What exactly did you do there? Uh, I was an engineer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It worked uh, with uh, traffic engineering, getting the data from the data centers out to people and back in and stuff like that. Gotcha. Yeah. But apparently that doesn't, well, I used to work. I can tell you right now I'm pissed off right now. So I can tell you right now that everyone over there, well, almost everyone, 99% of them are really, really biased. So if they say bias doesn't exist, that's total lie. It does. Right. 100%. 100% that we get targeted. But yeah. So that's an absolute fact. Yeah, so you let, let's get into some stuff before I get really pissed off again. <laughs> so, first thing, are you sitting in a, like a wooden shed? Uh, yeah, was, um, my studio is being remodeled, so uh, I'm out in my little uh, building. This is where we make our T-shirts. So, uh. okay. So, you are the gun doctor. What is the gun doctor? Well, the gun doctor originally was my gunsmithing business. And uh, I kind of started my YouTube channel to promote that. And from there, it kind of spawned into what it is today. I, I don't gunsmith anymore because it's just, I live in a very rural area, so there's not a whole lot of business. So I don't devote a whole lot of time to it anymore, but I still shoot lots and lots of guns. Right. So you started out as a, like a, a armorer or whatnot a gunsmith mm-hmm. and then you got into the YouTube to promote your business. And now basically that is your business. Yeah. Were you surprised that, that it took over that way? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Cause you know, I'm just, you know, some guy from Kentucky that likes to shoot guns and I didn't expect anybody would want to see what I put out or, you know, all that good stuff. So yeah, I guess so. I guess a little surprising. But how long have you been doing it for? I've been doing it seriously since 2017. Um, I started my channel probably in 2014. I uploaded a video and just forgot all about it. And I came back and the video had like 20,000 views. I'm like, hey, wait a minute. Might be something to this. So I started playing with a little bit more. And I don't I don't upload uh, as much as I probably should, though. But when I first started out, I uploaded maybe six, seven videos a year. So I didn't really put out a whole lot. But now I'm getting a little bit more consistent. Are you enjoying it? Absolutely. Every second of it. Uh, I love what I do. Uh, my, my main goal, I guess, is to inspire future generations because that's where the future of our Second Amendment is, and it's in the children. And we gotta, We're fighting an uphill battle when it comes to the children's minds, so you know, you got to put it out there. Yeah, we definitely are. There's actually a school system out there that sent a letter to parents and they want the parents to sign to say that they would not monitor their online schooling 
or, or eavesdrop, which I think <laughs> is very scary. Yeah, absolutely. It's very Orwellian. We live in the Orwellian world. We um, do. We do. Yeah, yeah everything. And it doesn't really matter how hard you try. I mean, you can go offline and, you know, be one of those people. But there's cameras everywhere. There's facial recognition. I mean, it's it's inescapable. I mean, really. Yeah. One of the projects I have worked on is uh, biometrics, facial recognition, and stuff like that. Um, mostly for uh, the government. Uh, not really for, to monitor citizens, but to monitor uh, other people in other countries from drones and stuff like that. So yeah. it's, it's, so it's very scary. I know what it can do. Even working at Facebook, I thought the government has some like crazy stuff, but uh, the Facebook facial recognition stuff is just insane. It's so insane. It really is. They had to actually turn um, a lot of it down because it was just too damn accurate and people were <laughs> Even it to find people, they would upload a picture, and it was like, "Is this this person?" And then right. they would stalk them. That's scary. That's a scary which, thought. Which was very scary. There's no real way to avoid the system of monitoring. Right. I mean, we all walk around with the cell phone, um, and what a lot of people don't realize is they can go back six months and tell everywhere you've been with your cell phone. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All of cell phone things. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, uh, I think Flying Rich might have guessed what I was doing with the facial recognition stuff, but that's not <laughs> a person. That person was not me. But yeah, it, it is really scary, and it's only going to get more worse. There's no way to go gray anymore. Right, right. Uh, you're going to be on the on the grid, you know, you're not going to go off the board, so to speak, uh, unless you like move to like that North single island, single island where the where <laughs> they've been contacted because they kill everyone who tries to come aboard. The island. North Sydney's Island. Yeah. North Sydney's Island. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. The only real place you can go um, off the grid. <laughs> I don't really think you want to go there. Yeah, I don't I don't think you want to go there. I'm not you sure ever, they're too friendly. You ever uh, read about that place? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've checked it out. Yeah, they, they don't even have fire. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to think that there's uh, humans on Earth now that, you know, they have no, no idea what's out there. You know, their world is that island, and they have no clue what's going on in the rest of the world. And we're yeah. over here talking nuclear weapons and World War Three, and you know the government going crazy, and they just have no clue. Rich is claiming that he's been there, which I kind of doubt. <laughs> I don't know. Rich is pretty crazy. He might have. Yeah, he might have crashed his plane there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I read a story about a guy who wanted to go bring Jesus to him, so yeah. he hired a couple of fishermen to take him there. So. He's paddling down in the canoe. They started firing the arrows at him. So he goes back to the boat. The next day he tries again. This time he gets ashore. And uh, they uh, shoot an arrow at him. I was standing on the shore after standing around looking at him. And the Bible stopped it. 
So yeah. he swam back the mile, back to the boat. And then the third day in a row, he tried it again. And that time they, he didn't get away. They killed him. Yeah. Yep. I mean, you know, you go there, you know the risk. I mean, it's not a exactly a safe place. They're not exactly friendly to foreigners or... I think uh, a few people have contacted them, you know, kind of, you know, they pull up along in the river or alongside them in the island, and I've seen them throw coconuts out, and, you know, they didn't shoot at those guys. Sorry, I'm having some camera issues. That's all right. But, yeah, they didn't shoot at those guys from what I've seen in that video, but, you know, we've, we've all seen a video of them shooting at helicopters and, you know, things like that, so. Yeah, there is uh... – one island that's more dangerous than that, and that's off the coast of Brazil. Yeah. Or just Chile or something like that. It's called Snake Island. Oh, yeah. It's full of, yeah. I know yeah, exactly what you're talking about. Poisonous snakes that when they bite you, within an hour it liquefies your insides. Right. And uh, apparently there there's one snake for every uh, yard on the island. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, it's... Where the island the snakes live, people <laughs> die there all the time. Yeah, I think there's like a, I think the government, local government there, they don't allow you to go on the island. I think. No, only uh, scientists on rare yeah. occasions. And there's a lighthouse where they change out the light once a year. The right. Navy, their Navy does, which is crazy. And, you know, that's kind of crazy to think about. Snake, a pair of snake boots wouldn't even help you there, really, because. Yeah, snakes coming from the trees and the ground yeah. and yeah okay they eat birds in the trees right right so they, so, fall. Uh, <laughs> they usually fall off the trees to bite you yep yeah i'm not i mean i'm not afraid of snakes but miss me with that you know what i'm saying yeah man it, it's it's scary it's the only place where they have that so um <laughs> so let's talk about the guns and off the uh, crazy island stuff. How did you get into guns? Oh man, that started when I was a wee little lad. You know, I, as far as long as I can remember, I've been around guns. You know, my dad taught me to shoot from a young age, and from there I went to the military and then into law enforcement. And so I've always been around guns. So it kind of so, seems like uh, guns have been a part of my life since I can remember. Let me guess, Marines. No, Navy. Navy. Oh. Yeah. Yep. Were you in the, the fleet or what yeah, the Navy recruiter, they called me first. I was actually planning on going to the Marines. I had a real good friend of mine who served in Vietnam. Uh he was a gunnery sergeant and you know, he had me all talk into the Marines. So that was my plan. But Navy called me first and so I thought I'd try it out. Uh what'd you do in the Navy? Uh aviation ordnance. Got um, loads uh armament on planes and all that good stuff that's cool were you out in the carrier or were you uh yeah it was a yeah yeah uh you... whenever you see like um in movies you see guys out on the deck of the ship wearing the red coat the red shirts uh-huh. i was a red shirt so yeah dude, i can't imagine being on a boat for that long <laughs> it's not it's not too bad not too bad you got you stay pretty busy so you know yeah, they're like uh, floating cities. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Everything you can imagine. 
That's that. That's cool. Um, for how long was your longest uh, deployment on a ship? Six months. Six months. Oh, I can't even imagine. That'd be driving me crazy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I I only spent a little over a year in the Navy. I got out on medical discharge. Oh, what I got happened? injured. Yeah, uh, uh, I got shot. It was a hunting accident. Yeah, my, my best friend shot me. We were uh, hunting, so. Wow. Yeah, I had to relearn how to walk and everything. Is he still your best friend? Well, I haven't spoke to him in a while, but that's not why. We just, you know, <laughs> lost touch. <laughs> he didn't owe you money or anything, did he? No, no. <laughs> no, he probably would have aimed a little higher, you know. <laughs> but no, it, it was just a stupid mistake. It was uh, an old gun. The safety was used to work on it, and you know he just we were kid. He was a you know we were teenagers, so he wasn't a uh, he wasn't too keen on gun safety. We were you know we ra- we were raised out here in the sticks of Kentucky, so you know we were we always had guns in our hands. But uh, yeah, it was just a simple mistake, and next thing I know, I had to relearn how to walk. So, yeah. uh, Rich wants to know if you if you had any cat launches. No, no, not lately. <laughs> no, no cat launches. Yeah, yeah. Um, let me ask you this: when when you're out at sea, on the deck, there's no like railing around the side of the ship, right? Right. Yeah, that the kind of prevents you from landing planes. Well, you just kind of, you stay away from the edge and, you know, you got to be aware of the wind and all that good stuff. Cause you know, it does happen. People go overboard, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, you common sense, really. It's all common sense. I, I don't know, man. I like boats, but that's maybe <laughs> too long. Do you get to go anywhere cool though while you're out? Uh, no, not really. Uh, we, uh, you know, we went to, uh, a few places, but nowhere really cool. Uh, California out towards Hawaii, you know, things like that. But I, I didn't go anywhere super exciting. Okay. You know, I was, I wasn't in any, you know, I wasn't in any war or anything. So. so yeah, that's still kind of cool though. Huh? I yeah. would like to uh, serve, uh, to like, I would, I would like to spend some time in aircraft carrier and not really serve on it, and but you know, just so I can get off whenever I want. But, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a different experience. I mean, really, because it's a, it's, it's a city. It's a, uh, you know, you got everything you need there. You sleep there. You eat there. You got doctors. You got, you got stores. You got everything you need. So, what do you do on your days off when you're out at sea? Well, I mean, uh, sometimes, you know, you play, you got some stuff, you toss football on the deck, uh, read, uh, <laughs> do a lot of reading, so. Yeah, but uh, you can't really call home or anything, right? Well, I mean, uh, and yeah, you can. Um, you know, when I was in, cell phones were really a big thing, and you, know, you can't really use cell phone to see anyway, but yeah, you have ways of contacting, uh. You know they had they had phones there on deck and stuff, or on ship. 
the well, I mean, I just can't even imagine. It's just me. So when you got out of the Navy, you went into law enforcement, you said? Yes. Yeah, I was a, I was a police officer in Ohio for about five years. And... What do you think yeah. about the fun the police thing? Well, um, it's pretty you know stupid, but I'm I'm down for police reform, but defunding the police is definitely not the way to go. Yeah, you know and see, what always cracks me up is. You- People say the police, you know, oh, look, the police academies are too short. They're not getting enough training. So the solution to that is to give them less money to train. <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, even a lot of people don't realize, yeah, police academy. Yeah, sorry, my camera is just right. my setup's not the best right now. There we go. I think I got it. Anyway, the you know, the training my police academy was seven months and after that you get on the job training you have to you have to be with a field officer so it's not just the academy there's more training onto that and then you got requalifications and stuff like that so there's a lot of training and you know you can always go above and beyond which i always recommend to anybody is get as much training as you can get trained up do you think these cops are getting like a raw deal deal with them what is it now? Do you think the cops are getting the raw deal with the media? Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know they're they're an easy target because they're out there and they're the enforcement arm of all these laws, and you know that's going to cause friction anywhere. So yeah, they definitely get the raw end of the deal. It's a thankless job for sure. A, a lot of the people who are against the police want to play devil's advocate. They say the police are, are too militarized and we need to return to um, more of, you know, a community policing. Yeah, I think there's a time and place for everything. I think, you know, SWAT has its place. Patrolmen have their place. Detectives have their place. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. And I think in some ways we do need to increase community policing and keep the keep the militarized stuff on a need to basis you know you got guys out there you know wearing ceramic plates and they're all dressed up for policing but you know they're wearing combat gear and it i think a lot of people see that and in their minds they're automatically going to the whole stormtrooper thing and i understand why but I don't know. I think it's a fine line. I think you got to find a balance because you got to have officer safety. You got to have, you know, the trust of the community, which is at an all time low right now, all across the country. So, I, like I said, I think it's just a fine line you got to walk. What do you think about qualified immunity? I'm not down for qualified immunity. Here's what I think. You and me as self-defenders, if, you know, if we're in a situation where we have to use our, our gun to defend our life, you know, we're going to, we're going to be put under a microscope and, you know, there's with qualified immunity, there's, there's a lot of leeway there, you know, 
it depends on what state you're in and what kind of police union you got going on. But, you know, you get some of these officers, they're involved in an incident and immediately, you know, they're getting, they're getting rushed away and they got representation there. They got union reps, they got lawyers, they got all this stuff representing them immediately. And, you know, we don't, we don't have that luxury as self-defenders. So I think there needs to be uh, a little bit more level playing ground when it comes to that. Yeah, there was That's just my a, opinion. I was doing an investigation from an investigative journalist, and one of the people I investigated was a New York City cop. He had 64 charges against him, uh, right. 64 complaints filed against him. 16 of them were found to have merit. Yeah, which changed, and they were uh, like legal search and seizures, uh, threatening, uh, you know, with a gun, uh, threatening to um, basically make up charges. Um, just a, you know, just a really bad guy, and he's yeah. still on the job. Yeah, and it's it's things like that that the community really loses their trust when it comes to things like that, that it really, it really hurts. It hurts the perception, you know, people have of cops all around, you know, you got one bad apple turns the rest of the apples bad. And you know, that's not the case. Uh, there's good cops everywhere. There's, there's plenty of good cops, but you know, I kind of, I kind of see where some people come from when it comes to things like that, because it's an, you're you're entrusted by your community to do this job and you take that trust and you betray it and it kind of sets a bad taste in people's mouths and I understand yeah. why sometimes i think it might be the police unions that are the issue because they're protecting police unions the are a big issue um you know when i was a cop we didn't i didn't we were a very small department. I had to supply my own gun, everything. I, we didn't even have body armor. And like I said, very small department, Manchester, Ohio. It's a really small town. You know, I think uh, there's more bars than there are people in that town. But um, yeah, we didn't have a police union, so we didn't have that luxury of, you know, so you got, you had to really, really pay attention to what you did and how you talk to people, how you handle situations and how you presented yourself. You know, I was fortunate. Um, I had a mentor when I was in police Academy and he was a sheriff back in the day and he had to go back to police Academy and get his recertification. And we were always having these discussions about constitutional rights and how to do your job without violation or violating rights and you know i was fortunate to have that guy as sort of a mentor when i was going through police academy and it really helped my perspective a lot when i actually put the badge on and you know got out and did the work yeah i can i can definitely see that a good mentor makes a huge difference in everything really it does uh, it does sometimes i think a lot of the kids don't really have the mentors that they should no well, the nuclear family is a is a no-no word now, you know. Uh, so, role models and mentors, 
go from, you know, a strong male figure to, you know, some dude on TV or, you know, some YouTuber and you really got to, you really got to watch, you know, you know, I got two kids, I got two teenagers and we homeschooled them and we let them experience the world, you know, at their own terms, you know, we let them, we let them pick and choose, you know, what they do and things like that. And I was always, you know, real, I was always drilling it into them. You know, you gotta, you gotta listen to what people say. You gotta, you gotta kind of look at who people are before you go and start looking up to these people and you got to see what they're about. So I was, I was all about that, but my youngins, so. Yeah, it seems like they're they are looking up to the wrong people. Whether they are, uh, you know, like rappers or other right. type of people that aren't like sports stars who aren't, you know, the best people in the and and right. Just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're not a shit person. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, that's what I don't get with actors, you know, actors giving their political opinions. That makes no sense to me. Um, you know, they're, they're good at pretending to be someone else. What makes you think that they have any kind of clue about the real world or politics in general? So. Have you ever seen the Ricky Gervais thing? Yes. Uh, I actually just rewatched that the other night. He really uh, laid into him. That was something to see. Yeah, they don't really like him too much. I've, I can imagine. And they're like, do you hang out with other actors? He's like, no. He's like, I don't have any actors <laughs> that are my friend. Uh, but yeah, he, he just thinks that he basically said, you guys take yourself too seriously. You're actors. You, you act. Right. <laughs> you act. Exactly. It's like when uh, all the celebrities during the Corona lockdown did the uh, Imagine song where they all sang and they asked him to sing and he's like, I'm not singing that. <laughs> and they asked him why and he's like, he's like, what are we telling people? They're, you know, oh, I'm locked in my million dollar house where I have everything <laughs> I could possibly want and I don't have to worry about my next paycheck when people are out there su suffering and a lot of them don't know how they're going to make rent. And he's like, I'm not going to sing and tell everyone everything is going to be okay. I don't know. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's <laughs> uh, his political it's views concept. probably don't align too much. Right. But, um, you got to respect him because he's all about free speech. Exactly. He's also about, you know, not taking yourself too seriously and not thinking you're better than other people just because you're in a movie. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I never was the whole star chaser type, you know, I can care less about me a celebrity. Um, uh, my wife's the same way. Um, like we met, you know, Chuck, uh, Chuck Liddell, you know, I used to do MMA. Uh, I used to be a professional fighter and, you know, we met Chuck Liddell and, I don't know. I guess, I guess I didn't really, you know, fangirl over him a lot. I was kind of like, Hey dude, how are you? 
you know, it was just one of those things. I don't know. I just never did do the whole celebrity worship thing very well. Yeah, I went Chuck Liddell twice. Yeah. Yeah, once yeah. at Andrews Air Force Base at the Andrews Air Force Show. Um, and before a couple of years before that, I was living in the Philippines. Oh, and okay. I went to the mall that was across from my apartment. Uh, they were having a UFC event in like Manila and he was at the mall. <laughs> so I was okay. like, oh my God, it's like Chuck Liddell. So Chuck, kinda, Chuck Liddell, yeah. Yeah, you don't expect to be in like some third world country and all of a sudden. <laughs> right. Yeah, I met him. I, I hung out with Andrea Olowski and Tim Kennedy at Shotland. That's cool, yeah. Yeah. Uh, very nice guys. Um, both yeah. very nice. Uh, but yeah, uh, so I, I did MMA when I was like 70 pounds lighter, 60 pounds lighter. When I was like <laughs> 140. Um, but that was years and years ago. I did it before it like really blew up. Uh, yeah. Amateur because at the time pro fighting was still illegal in Virginia and DC, but you can yeah. do amateur belts, which have changed right. a lot. Um, ever since, uh, what, who have it? Uh, a Forrest Griffin and Stephen Bonner fight. I think that really put MMA on the map. Yeah. Yeah. So you did, so, so you did MMA. Uh, you, did you train jujitsu at all? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I trained, uh, I, I trained with uh, Pat Miladich, uh out of the uh, Miladich camp. Yeah, I, I was a part of Team Miladich. Uh And then there was a – they brought a satellite school to my area. And uh, so I trained up there under the Miladich camp. Uh, Scott O'Brien, he's a SWAT he's a SWAT team guy up in northern Kentucky. And uh, he ran the school. And, you know, he was a very accomplished kickboxer. But he brought in jiu-jitsu guys and, you know, stuff like that. So – I trained uh, under uh, Helson Gracie. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Helson's a good guy. He's in Hawaii now. But yeah, good guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a, 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 a few big name jujitsu people around here. Uh, like Pedro Sauer, who is a. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar with him. Yeah, he, he lives uh, in, in like a, one town over and stuff like that. He teaches it. Oh, nice. He has a school there where he teaches. That's his own base. Yeah. And stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, it's. Yeah. Yeah. Well, did you, for me to did do you, any kind of training, what is it? The Jujitsu world it was kind of cool. I got injured and then I couldn't do it anymore. But um, yeah. Yeah. Then I got. Yeah. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. I, I started, you know, when I started fighting, I was, uh, I had no clue. I had a, I had a Taekwondo black belt and I'm like, well, I'm going to go to here and do some fighting. And I stepped in the cage and you got my butt handed to me. I was like, well, I better learn how to really fight. So I started shopping around for schools and stuff and somehow landed with Miladich and I fell in love with jujitsu and Muay Thai. And, uh, I, I like I did a little bit of boxing in the Navy too, you know, nothing serious. Just, but I did a little bit of boxing in the Navy. Like I said, I had a Taekwondo black belt, but none of that helped when I stepped into the cage first time because I didn't have a. I was fighting a wrestler and I had no ground fighting skills and. Yeah, I was like, "What is fighting. going on?" <laughs> I started out as a kickboxer, and then 
Brown Jiu Jitsu. Um, yeah. I wanted to do a little bit of MMA. And uh, when I was doing, when I started, there wasn't really a lot of choices. So I just got very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was, well, for like, me to do any kind of school, I have to drive like an hour, like towards Cincinnati. So yeah, I, I don't have anything in my area. I got very lucky. Uh, it was the only school like in like uh, like a 50 mile radius when I started because it was like very small uh, community of jujitsu people. And it just happened to be about two minutes away from my house. That I went for yeah. Right so I got, I got very lucky. So started doing jujitsu, uh, mixed up, mixed it in with my kickboxing. Um, and then uh, started doing judo. Yeah. And, and wrestling, yeah. of course. Right. All those are great to have if you're going to do MMA. Yeah. If you don't have any ground game, you're going to get whopped. Yeah. Absolutely. You absolutely got to be all around it now. There's no... There's no more days of the original, you know, mixed martial arts where you had a pure karate guy against, you know, Hoist Gracie or, you know, a sumo versus, you know, this or that. It, you know, those days are long gone. And, you know, MMA has kind of been kind of been the test for what martial arts work. And, well, you see what still survives the day. Jiu-Jitsu, Muay Thai, you know, things like that. I yeah. recommend jiu-jitsu to anybody. Yeah, jiu-jitsu is, is a great equalizer because once you get someone on the ground, I, when I used to roll with people, you would have these like big guys come in there and they think they're yeah. going to like bump on you. And I was like 140 to 150 pounds, depending on whether I was fighting or not. Uh, walked yeah. around about 150, 155-ish, fought at like 140. Uh, I did about the same. Yeah. So, yeah, so uh, now I'm a lot more. I never really get down that weight. So, but you have these big guys come into school, and they used to think that they were going to be able to like whip up on the little guys, right? And then you would just take them down or pull guard <laughs> and let them just like, you know, just sit there for a second and just let them struggle and just you know just relaxing, just you know, biding time, just like looking around, doing whatever, just letting right. them and waste all their energy then once they were tired enough you just choked them out easily because they expended all their energy trying to usually do something totally wrong that's not going to make them escape that kept on pitting them deeper and deeper in trouble <laughs> right right yeah we had a we had a few bodybuilder guys that would come in and they would try a class and they're like oh, i don't want to do this yeah well we yeah have, we had one guy stuck it out and he turned out to be pretty good. So yeah, it's, it's a real test of humility. Uh, some, it, it is. Some of these guys are they're really cocky and they go in there and they fight these smaller guys and just get destroyed. Uh, there was a yeah. bodybuilder that came in there one time and it was like during a kickboxing class and he couldn't close his arms because his arms were too big. <laughs> right. So this and you kept on getting kicked. Boom. Boom. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah. you, you would see these big guys come in there, and most of the time they would go in there for, you know, their introductory two-week lesson and think that – and I talk all big and bad and just get humiliated. And it was it was funny because if you went in there humble, no one was going to beat up on you. Right. 
went in there with, oh, I, this is going to be easy. I know what I, I, I can use my physical strength to overcome your skill. You usually would get your ass whooped bad because, you know, it was like, hey, you know, you're either going to be humble or you're not going to last. And and there were a few guys that went in there with this big attitude and got and got, and got their ass handed to them and they became humble. Right. It, it, but, it's a, it's the great equalizer for sure. She just did some amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Other guys who just didn't. Um, then, you know, they're just like got their ego bruised, and they're like, "All right, well, I'm gonna go somewhere where my angle's not gonna get bruised." <laughs> right, right. I'm gonna go back to my fantasy world where I can use my brute strength to take out anyone. Yeah, yeah. Because strength is a lot, but once you get it's on the not ground, everything. technique can overcome a lot of that. If you're you really strong, maybe. But there, there was a video of a uh, of a linebacker that's that's floating around out there, and he goes into he challenges. It, well, he was a professional football player. I can't remember who it was a linebacker, but one of his teammates was talking about, "Oh, you gotta try this jiu-jitsu. He's like, "I don't need it." So he brought him in the class, and he rolled with the coach, who was like 160 pounds. This guy's like 350. Yeah. And uh, he got repeatedly choked out like multiple times. <laughs> so they, I guess he became a he became a a student there. Yeah, it, it really opened your eyes because you know I thought I thought I was good. I thought I was good with my boxing and my taekwondo. I was like young, confident, and I learned my lesson real quick. The first time I you know rolled with a real jiu-jitsu guy. I was just amazed at how quick he was able to either choke me out or put me in a position where he was going to break my limbs. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and this guy's skinny. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? So I started diving into jujitsu and I just kind of fell into that whole rabbit hole. Yeah. Once, uh, Helson used to say, if you're fighting someone who doesn't know, who doesn't know ground fighting, once you hit the ground with them. You guys are in an ocean, and you're the shark, and they're the guppy. Yep, and that that, that is the absolute truth. Uh, you, people people who don't experience it firsthand really don't understand uh, how a real jujitsu master can just absolutely tear you down and just dominate you without using brute force. It's all leverage and technique and timing and. It's just really awesome to watch a real master at work, you know. Well, that's where Helio Gracie came up with it because he's a small guy. Yeah, absolutely. And Helio absolutely. Gracie, godfather of jiu-jitsu, had to develop a system where he he could beat all these guys, and they did the Gracie Challenge for years and years. Yeah, yeah. That's how the UFC got started. I mean, the Gracies are, you know, they're the – they're the patriarchs of MMA, really. Yeah. It, at, least what, you, at least what it is today. If you ever watch UFC 1, the guy at the begin, the, at the, the first guy at the Gracie train, that's Helson Gracie. That's who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Harayan Gracie started at uh, Hoist Gracie. Wasn't the best fighter either. No. No, he, was he actually, wasn't. 
small, and that's why they chose him to fight because the best fighter, um, oh, they didn't want to pit him up against everyone else because they wanted to prove that you know an average guy could beat these right. guys. And he showed the world. <laughs> he did. That, that was kind of awesome to watch. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of those old Gracie fights is what really got me interested in doing MMA. Yeah. Back in the day. And but. Were you an MMA fan during the dark ages when it wasn't on pay-per-view and people used to just exchange videotapes? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I started MMA, MMA before there was any regulating bodies around. And, you know, uh, it was kind of a, you know, I remember this one fight. It was down in Somerset, Kentucky. And that is like the exact opposite of where I am in Kentucky. It's like at the other end of the state, the lower end. And uh, I went in and I weighed in. And I weighed in, I think, 148. And I was fighting at 155. I was fighting in the 155 class. I weighed oh, wow. 148. And, you know, which is, I'm used to that. I was used to being a little light. I preferred it, you know, kept me fast. Because, uh, you know, coming from a Taekwondo background, even though, you know, I love jiu-jitsu. I'm, I'm a natural striker. You, and, you, didn't, uh, you didn't feel like cutting weight? No, no. I, I, wasn't about, I wasn't about to cutting weight. Oh, my God. No. Terrible. Yeah, uh, I don't want nothing to do with that. You know, those guys, they, you know, I've seen guys lock completely up. You know, they'll be in the sauna and uh, they'll be in there cutting weight. Next thing you know, they, they're locking up and they're having to get an IV to get rehydrated and all that good stuff. And yes. I just. Pedialyte. <laughs> yeah, Pedialyte. Electrolytes. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just prefer not to. But to get back to my story, yeah, I, it was in Somerset, Kentucky. I weighed in 148, and my opponent wasn't around. I'm like, where's my opponent? And they're like, oh, he'll be here later. Well, my opponent wasn't there for the official weigh-in. And I step into the ring with this guy, and I probably shouldn't have took the fight. But, you know, I was like, I'm not going to turn the fight down. And I look across, and, you know, this guy absolutely weighs 200 pounds. No doubt about it. And I'm like, huh. So I was kind of uh, in MMA before it was really even hardcore regulated as far as weight classes go. So it was uh, the dark ages, so to speak. Yeah. The the, the last uh, fight I took was um, I weighed at uh, like 155 and uh, a little bit heavy. Uh, but that's what I was fighting at, and my opponent didn't show up. And what they do is, you know, they would either go and ask the audience, anybody want to fight? Or <laughs> see if who else's opponent didn't show up. And there was a heavyweight, which he rated at like 225, 230 ish. Yeah. Really. <laughs> so they're like, you want to fight him? I was like, I don't care. And I got choked out. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, I, I have uh, some. Uh, lasting residual bad stuff for from my kickboxing mostly my kickboxing more than my jujitsu yeah i get like i have like bad headaches and stuff like that uh, you know yeah. like, i got wow. a pretty serious shoulder injury yeah. left over had, from had, my mma days yeah i had my soldier i had my uh uh 
a shoulder rebuilt. Uh, I had to have uh, my nerves relocated in my elbow. I don't have full dexterity in my hands, and I have headaches from repeated concussions, some kickboxing and stuff. Yeah. So it yeah. took a toll on my body. So my wife doesn't <laughs> want my kids to follow in my footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my kids are pretty rowdy. So I, I thought I, I figured my son might try it out because, you know, he's he's always interested in what dad's into, which, you know, it is what it is. But uh, well, my dad was a boxer, too. Yeah. Awesome. My grandfather was a boxer. My grandfather's father was a boxer. Yeah. And I just didn't do boxing. I did MMA instead. I, I thought about doing a boxing match here, you know, when all this, uh, when all this coup stuff's over. So, I don't know. I've thought about doing a boxing match. I, I love striking, and I am by no means a boxer. And I thought I'd get in there and try it out and have a little fun with it. I don't know. It's just maybe it's uh, me trying to revisit my past, but I don't know. I've always, I've always liked striking, and I've got an, I got a slight advantage when it comes to striking because. You know, I'm I'm five nine, but I got a six foot four wingspan. Oh wow! So I got a really good reach. It's uh, so that always helped me out as far as the striking goes. Yeah, I, I think if I went into striking, um, or if I if I did another, there's a good chance I would get. If I get like, I, I'm on like borrowed time when it comes to concussions. Yeah. <laughs> see, I, I've. I haven't had many concussions, so I I, I don't know. Uh, I, I've considered it, you know, you know, what if I, I get a concussion? I'm not as old. I'm not as young as I used to be. You know, I don't bounce back as fast. You know, I I, I did kickboxing even when I was doing MMA, so I did kickboxing from age 12 to 36. Oh, okay, yeah, like so, a American kickboxing style or. Um, American, then oh, younger when I was American, then went to like the Muay Thai stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love Muay Thai and stuff like that. So, uh, that's where I got I, honestly, I probably got like one concussion in MMA. The rest were from uh, kickboxing, but back in those days, man, you didn't. I, I'm, I'm 44 now, but back in those days, you didn't like take the precautions, you would just like shake it off and go fight the next, <laughs> right. Yeah, so uh, you, yeah. I, I've seen guys uh, that we had this one guy with Miladich, uh He would fight, then go to the next city and fight the very next night, yeah. and then go to the next city and fight the very next night. And you know, that kind of stuff isn't allowed anymore. But you know, back in the day, the guys were like hitting it, hitting it hard. So I don't know. Yeah. Lots changed since then. My eyes are always like squinty, and that's actually because of a uh, repeated trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah getting so punched a lot. Yeah, so can't do that anymore. So now I shoot guns. <laughs> hey, I like guns. I like rolling. Uh, you know, it's uh, whatever to me. But yeah, talk about. I, guns I gotta, I gotta do something to fight the battle of the bulge. Because, like I said, I'm, I was fighting at one fifty five, and now I'm. I'm around 200 pounds, and my wife's cooking has a lot to do with it. And yeah. me not exercising like I did, maintaining that diet didn't help. 
Yeah, I, I had to go on anti-seizure medication because of all my headaches. So that kind of made me balloon up. Yeah. So yeah, I, I definitely, if I was in that boat, I definitely wouldn't try striking. I would stick with jujitsu for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, with my shoulder and everything, I blew up my ACL. Yeah. Yeah, too, too broken. Yeah, yeah. Talking about jujitsu. Uh, hey. Old, old you know, men do jujitsu, so. Uh, that is true. Uh, That's true. I got choked out by Helson when I was like in my 20s. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, you know, I taught my kids from a young age. I taught them jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai and stuff. And my daughter was about eight. And I was teaching her how to do a rear naked choke. And she got me in the lock. And, you know, we're rolling on the floor. She got, she got me in a lock. She got my back. And she sinks the choke in. And I go to tap. And she didn't let go. I'm like, okay, Cora, let go. I tap, and before my hand can hit the ground again, I, I was waking up. I was waking up on the floor, and like I said, she was eight years old, and I was like, why didn't you let go of me? She's like, I want to see what it was like to choke somebody out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that was, uh, that was an experience with my eight-year-old when my daughter was eight, so that was something else. Yeah, what a lot of people get mixed up is that a rear, like rear naked choke and stuff like that. It's not actually uh, like a, a wind choke. No, it's a blood choke. It's a blood choke. Um, and yep. the wind choke, it takes a couple minutes before you go out with a blood choke. It's under 30 it, seconds. You're, it you're, can go quick. You're really sleep. quick. Well, I mean, you can take your fingers on either side of your esophagus and push in. You'll feel the light start to go out. You know, it's uh, it's really easy to get a blood choke on someone. Yeah. And it doesn't take a lot of force either. No, no, no. Jiu-Jitsu is definitely, I miss it so much. Yeah, I, I'll get to watching fights and stuff like that. And I'll start to get that well, urge to, yeah, yeah. I, that doesn't go away, I don't think. I think that'll stick with me. My body's like, no, you're too old for his crap. But my mind's like, let's do it. <laughs> so, yeah, Interesting is watching MMA with someone who's never done like jujitsu or anything. And they're like, what are they doing? This is rolling on the ground. <laughs> right. They don't realize yeah. that they're freaking like playing chess on the ground. Absolutely. Like, There's every, a lot of technical every, stuff happening. Every turn of the hips, every yeah. shrimp, just, it's just all. Every know. bit of it plays into the next move and the next move. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is like chess. Countering moves, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I've always been cautious about if I was, you know, ever accosted in the streets. Uh, especially if you got more than one person, you probably don't want to go to the ground. Oh, definitely not. You want to stay moving and, you know, keep it up and stuff like that. Because rolling on blacktop is definitely different than rolling on a mat. Oh, there's, yeah, a lot of, there's a lot of exposed flesh after, <laughs> after yeah. a good roll on the ground. They say 95% of fights end on the ground, but 100% of fights begin on the feet. Absolutely. That's true. That's true. My and, you know, the older I get, you know, when I was young, I was like, you know, somebody wants to fight, I'll fight. I was, I was kind of a hellion when I was in school and stuff. So, but, you know, the older I am, the, I, I'd rather not. I'd rather not be sore tomorrow. You know, we're going to punch each other 
And I just rather not be sore tomorrow <laughs> because at my age, there's no winners in a fight. You're both going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. That is definitely true. You are both going to hurt. Um, yeah, for sure. Fighting, fighting hurts. And a lot of people think that they could fight until what, uh, what Pat Militich, you trained on the Pat Militich. This was one of his uh, famous sayings. Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. That is absolutely true. You see that first flash and you're like, uh-oh, yeah, <laughs> where am I? Pat What's going on? <laughs> yeah, I think Militich actually coined that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it really is true. I mean, you could plan, you know, before you go into the cage, you got a game plan. You know, this guy, you know, he's stronger on his feet, so we're going to take him down. Or he's really strong on his feet, or he's really strong on the ground, so we're going to keep it standing. And you can have a game plan, but until you get that first contact, you know, game plan kind of goes out the window. Now, now bringing this back to guns, do you think gun guys – should take up some type of uh, martial art. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Because you know, you you never know when you're going to be put in a situation where you got to defend yourself, and you might not always have a gun available. You know, I carry pretty much everywhere I go, but there are certain places I go that I can't carry. You know, you can't carry in a federal building. You can't. So you gotta you gotta be able to have those those hand fighting skills, you got to be able to have or some kind happens. of comp. Yeah. You got to have some kind of competent way to defend yourself. Yeah, what happens and, to the jams or if the person grabs you before you had a chance to grab your gun. Exactly. You, I mean, you're not going to be able to grab your gun. Um, in, in a perfect world, uh, you know, we wouldn't be attacked on the streets in the first place, but <laughs> in a perfect world, you know, people think, well, I got my gun. I'm good to go. You know, what if what if you're carrying a small single stack and you run out? What are you going to do then? All you got is paperweight. So you got to know how to defend yourself. And you know, as a as someone as a self defender, you're always working working on a deficit. So you're always at a disadvantage. You know, the bad guy they always get to set the time and the place for the attack. So you're always working at that reactionary level. And you don't know what the situation is going to be because by nature it's chaotic and it could be a guy and he might be right there in your face and you don't have a chance or he might already have a gun on you. Uh, you know, someone's pointing a gun at you. Are you going to draw? No, you're going to get shot if you do that. So you got to buy your time. You got to potentially maybe try to disarm him or, you know, what have you. I would definitely recommend any gun guy take self-defense, learn how to do disarms, learn, learn how to defend yourself. Cause you can't rely on the gun. The gun is just a tool and you know, your best weapons up here. So that's, that's the simple truth of it. Yeah, that is, well, we've been on for an hour. I think we're going to end on that note. I'm going to give you the final word in one second, but I just want to go ahead and thank our sponsor for today's show, Mantis X. Mantis X makes some of the real... Have you ever tried the Mantis X? I got the Mantis X 10. 
Oh, and yeah. freaking awesome. Absolutely. Especially with the ammo shortage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dry firing uh, yeah. with it uh, is, is great um, with the with the ammo shortage. And when you do get it to the range, I mean, this, uh, this helps you there as well. Tremendously. Yeah. Everyone should have some type of training thing. It really has improved my shot. I've been using it for yeah. a couple of years now. So that's why I'm so excited to have them as a sponsor. But Mantis yeah. X, you can find them at mantisx.com. Uh, let them know that I sent you. Also, you can uh, you can uh, join my Patreon militia at patreon.com slash John Crump. Patreon.com slash John Crump. Um, buy my book at crumpy.com slash giants. Follow me on Instagram at real John Crump. Facebook, it's Black Swan Media Group. I'm not getting back my old Facebook. Sorry. Sucks, but what can you do? <laughs> Remember to hit that thumbs up. It really helps me with the algorithm. Share this video. Or if you're listening on the audio only podcast, which will be up tomorrow, uh, by that time, my app should be out. I have an, a, it's a crumpy app coming out, hopefully tomorrow. Um, nice. The whole Corona thing, they're behind reviewing now because they got to review it to make sure it doesn't do anything sketchy. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We did a lot of work on that app, and I am going to give Daniel, the Gun Doctor TV, um, the final word. Let everyone know where they can find you, any plugs that you want to do, anything. So, uh, I am Gun Doctor TV pretty much everywhere. I'm on all the all the social medias, YouTube, just all one word, Gun Doctor TV, and uh, you can watch my mediocre videos. They're not mediocre. They're really good, actually. <laughs> so honestly, I really don't watch gun guys videos, but you're one of the people I do. I appreciate that. Yeah. Tomorrow awesome. we'll be back with uh, Mark Robinson, who's running for Senate out of uh, North Carolina. He's the guy that did the really passion speech that went viral a couple yeah. years ago. Um, but awesome. Yeah, I'll be checking that out tomorrow. All right. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you later. We are out.